Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. So, I read a story this week I thought I'd share it with you about a young man who, uh, who knew the holidays were coming. And so he decided he was going to do some extra uh, odd jobs to raise a little bit of money to buy presents for his family for the first time. Because he was 15 thought maybe this is a good time for me to be a responsible young man. And Christmas is coming. I want to make sure I get a gift for everybody, especially my mom. So odd jobs. So he goes to the neighbors and he says, hey, I'm doing odd jobs. Can I do anything? Strikes out a few times, and finally he gets, comes to a man's house and says, I'm doing odd jobs. Can I do anything around your house to make some extra money? And the man thinks, and he says, well, you know, I've been mean, I, I need to paint my porch, and I haven't had time to do it. So if you have time to paint my porch, I have the paint, I have the supplies, I just need someone to do it, I'll pay you 50 bucks. And so the kid says, okay, I'll do that. So... The wife hears it and the story inside. And she says, does he realize that the porch wraps all the way around the house? He's going to do this for $50? And the guy says, he said he would do it. So a couple hours goes by and the kid knocks on the door again. And the man says, you're finished already? And he said, yeah. And I even had extra paint, so I gave it two coats. By the way, that's not a Porsche. It's a Ferrari. <laughs> All that to say, this is the last Sunday before holiday season starts. So are you guys ready for that? The holidays are upon us. Someone had to say it. This is it. Thanksgiving happens this week, right? So this is the season of the year where our already maxed out schedules have to find extra time. This is the time of year where our already... Worn thin budgets have to have a little bit more because we have to buy presents for everybody, including including our neighbors, cousins, kids, and his mailman. And so presents, shopping, um, Black Friday. Do you guys do Black Friday shopping? Anybody? Yeah? Brave soul, brave soul. (laughs) Online. Okay. I I saw Jimmy Kimmel one time say that uh, I do all my holiday shopping online nowadays. He said, but I hire somebody to shout obscenities at me while I'm doing it, so I feel like I'm getting the full experience of the holiday season. (laughs) So, I mean, it is is upon us. This is the time of year where, uh, you know, the things that normally we're we're in our routines and our schedules and however we go about life doing things, it's about to get flipped upside down because that's what happens at the holiday time. So, like I said, shopping, Black Friday, maybe you're planning a holiday vacation, a stress-free vacation, they call it, to go see family somewhere, or maybe you have family coming in town, and 
Uh, maybe you're excited about that. Maybe you're really dreading it. I don't know. There's, there's two sides of this. There are people who love the holidays and have been playing holiday music for the last month already in preparation. And then <laughs> and somebody got ratted out over here. And then there are people who absolutely hate the holidays because of the stress or maybe because of the reminder of uh, something bad that happened in the past around this time. So there's a lot of different angles at it. This is it. No matter how you look at it, it's upon us. And I would like to talk about that today, but not so much about the holidays. I would like to talk about kind of the stress that we heap on ourselves. This time of year is just a good reminder because this time of year, we can't help but feel a little bit extra pressure. So if you don't like the holidays, I'm sorry. Thanksgiving is Thursday. And some of you guys have already started meal prep. Right? <laughs> I know. Don't, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to point you out. You know who you are. So there's already stress happening. So I, I'm wondering um, uh, have you guys, has everybody seen The Lord of the Rings, the first one? The very first one in the trilogy? Not everybody? I, I thought everybody was going to be like, of course, this is a classic. No one's read the book? <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to be extra descriptive here. So there's a scene in this movie where, or if you read the book, the book where, um, where uh, this is all about a ring, right? So it's called The Lord of the Rings. So I'm not giving away any great secrets here. The character's name is Frodo. He has the ring, and he's got a mission, and he's on his way to, actually, they need to destroy the ring because the ring is all kinds of bad. And anyways, the ring has these really scary guys. They're called, I think, the Dark Riders or something like that. They come after, they know where the ring is, they're coming for it. And they track down Frodo and his little hobbit friends. And he, and he puts on the ring because he thinks he's going to hide from them because he disappears when he puts on the ring. But when he does that, he actually becomes visible to them. And the, the leader of the Dark Riders actually stabs him. So... Sad story, but it doesn't end that way because he wakes up in Rivendell. And so Rivendell is the house of Elrond, the, the, the elven castle. And if you can imagine maybe like a Thomas Kincaid painting on steroids, it's this beautiful place and it's peaceful. And this is where he wakes up from his wound because this is where he's been brought to heal. Okay? So this is uh, how um, J.R.R. Tolkien describes the place. And I would like to read this for you. He says, For a while the hobbits continued to talk and think about the past journey and of the perils that lie ahead. So they know where they've come from and already the trials that they've faced and they know like all the way, you know, Frodo got stabbed and these scary guys are after us and everything else. They know this has happened and they know that what's about to happen is even scarier, is even more dangerous, is even more life-threatening. But he says, for a while the hobbits continue to talk and think about the past and the perils that lie ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, 
was not forgotten, but it ceased to have power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and in every word and every song. I love the way that Tolkien describes Rivendell. And maybe if you'd just seen the movie, you wouldn't have got all that from it. But if you read the book, you know that there's something very special about this place. And when he, the way he describes this, that when, that, that when Frodo wakes up from his wound and he's laying in his bed and he's like, where am I and what day is it, right? And he's laying there and then his friends come to see him and, and there's this joy that they have, this peaceful joy that in spite of the circumstances that have just happened to him and in spite of the peril that lays ahead, there is this rest that they all sense in Rivendale. And Rivendale represents Sabbath. So, in light of where you've been this year, in light of everything that's gone on, and despite the fact that the holidays are upon us, there is this Rivendell effect, this Sabbath rest that is always available to us. See, we might... We might have this preconceived notion that, you know, the Sabbath is Sunday. It's the day of rest. And that's okay. But Sabbath is more than a day. And I don't know about you, but I don't rest well on Sundays. I've, <laughs> I'm pretty busy on Sundays, actually. I fill it up with other things. So Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a way of seeing. It's a way of being. It's rest. In spite of what's gone on, in spite of what's to come. And that is what I'd like to talk about today. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd like to invite you to open them up to Luke chapter 10. Verses 38 through 42. It's probably a familiar story. Um... Maybe. And it goes like this. Now as they, this is Jesus and his disciples, were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for this time together that we get to sit at your feet as your children, as your family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you would speak to us today, Father, through your word, through our fellowship, and through one another as we lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The old Martha and Mary story, you might have heard it before, maybe you haven't. 
that I love the way that Luke, when he tells these stories, Luke is a very intentional writer. You know, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. So he does everything kind of with this intention. And so he's doing, he does this contrasting often in his writings. So this one and that one. This is Mary and Martha. It's also interesting to note where the story lies in the, in the scripture, in the, in the you know, passage of scripture that's coming out of. He just has told the story of the Good Samaritan, which is all about being a servant, all about loving your neighbor or being a neighbor. So he isn't dissing servanthood, obviously. Jesus said that he came to serve. But there was something more important than serving. And that's what, so this, you know, in, in, if you're reading through Luke chapter 10, you'll see the Good Samaritan, and then you'll see Mary and Martha, this short little four-verse story immediately afterwards. As if he's saying, this is, this is penultimate. This is it. This is like you're going, this is what we're supposed to do. Jesus came to serve. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And so... We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to serve and we're called to love and we're called to sacrifice for, for those around us, for those that we don't even like maybe. That's what we're called to do. But, but let's not forget this story. Let's not forget that we're, we can't be servants of the Lord if we have not spent time first at his feet. I wonder how many of us read the story of Martha and Mary and first, their first automatic thing is like, well, yeah, Martha's right. Mary's being lazy. Maybe if you just read the first part before Jesus rebuked Martha, you'd be like, yeah, the heck. She's doing everything by herself. And we would do the same. Can you imagine? I mean, can you, this is Jesus. Jesus came to their house. Can you imagine if God came to your house? have lunch with you, he would be like, I got to dust everything, I got to vacuum everything, I got to make sure everything's in order, I got to make sure the food is delicious, because this is God, I'm sure he eats good food. You would have this added stress on yourself, holiday stress. And so there's nothing in what Martha does to me that makes me think, oh yeah, she's off. No, I mean, I think this is what we would do. We would go a little bit crazy serving, cleaning, preparing, getting ready for our guest. And I'm thinking of my own boys. If one of them was doing all the work while the other one was sitting down, there would be some serious wrestling happening in my house. So... <laughs> So Martha, that's where Martha's at. But what an amazing story. And what an amazing story if you're interested in getting to know more about Jesus. Because he doesn't take the side of the servant in this story. He takes the side of the sitter. The person sitting at his feet. So from his gentle rebuke to his siding with Mary, I just, I just wonder, is this the Jesus that you imagine? I think that a lot when I read the story, when I read the, the, the gospel, the, gospel uh, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're reading all these things about who Jesus is, and you have this idea of who God is. And sometimes we grow up with this idea that this is God, this is who he is. He's kind of, he's kind of you know, alpha male, and he wants, he wants us to do better and do more and be better and be more. 
He wants us to, to do something right now. And we get this idea that this is who God is. I have to, I have to act this way because God is watching. And so many times, Jesus blows the lid off that because that's not exactly what you would have expected. You would have expected Jesus to praise the person who is serving, to praise the person who's making his meal. But there's something even more important than all of that. Sometimes we forget that the most important thing to Jesus is that we just be with him. It's amazing how during holiday season, this idea of peace and joy that all stems from the nativity story. This is a celebration of the birth of Christ. It's amazing how often we get lost in the hustle and bustle of the season and forget what it's about altogether and entirely. And for Jesus, the most important thing is not that we go buy presents for everybody, although I'm sure he is blessed with that, with the spirit of generosity. It's not that we go serve everybody, although I'm sure that he is blessed with your servants' hearts. It's that we don't forget in the middle of everything that's happening, in the middle of the bad stuff, in the middle of the joys to come, in the middle of everything that's happening, the most important thing to him is this relationship that we have with him. Spending time with him. Relationship with Jesus supersedes ministry. Relationship with Jesus supersedes service. And what Jesus says about Mary is that this thing that she is doing is the only thing that's necessary. He says that she is doing the only thing that is necessary. She has chosen the good portion, and it won't be taken away from her. So this is my takeaway. This is, this is if you remember one thing today. I think I've said this before, but you know, studies show that when you go to church on a Sunday morning, most people sit and listen, and they only remember 5% of what is said, and it's usually the funny story at the beginning. <laughs> so don't remember that part. Remember this. We grow in our relationship with Jesus through stillness. Sitting at his feet, being still and knowing that he is God. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is Sabbath. It's rest. It's Rivendell in real life. It's the only place where neither the past nor the future have control over us. It's the safe harbor, the place of healing, the place where hope grows. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is rest. Rest. Does anybody in here like to take naps? Two hands. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> I love to take naps, but I never get to. I'm, um, I could take a nap right now if you guys would let me. <laughs> 
I, I get to travel for, for my work sometimes, and it's not, um, you know, it's not maybe my favorite thing to do because I have a newborn, but there is something that I like about traveling. I fall asleep on airplanes. Like the minute the, the, the engine starts, I'm just like, <laughs> I wake up with a stiff neck and everything. But that is like it's a good time for me. Resting in the airplane is like good sleep. But rest, you might think, I don't have time for rest. <laughs> I think that a lot. Ain't nobody got time for that. And we might think of, yeah, maybe, you don't, maybe we don't even think through these kinds of things, but the excuses sound like, I love you, Jesus. I would love to sit at your feet. I would love to just bask in the, in the word right now. But, but, I have work to do. I have family. I have, I've put in a lot of hours at work, and now I have to catch up with this. I love you, Jesus. I'd love to sit at your feet, but it's Black Friday. I love you, Jesus, but my job has me working late. I love you, Jesus, but whatever it might be, we find ourselves putting this sitting at the feet of Jesus, this rest that our souls so desperately need. We put it on the back burner so often because there's so many other things going on. And it might even be for a good cause. I might not have the time to sit at the feet of Jesus because I would rather be playing with my baby. It can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Whatever it is, if we put anything before our relationship relationship with Jesus, we have, this is a harsh word, but we have made an idol out of it. As backwards as that sounds, I have done this so many times in my life. I have put ministry before my relationship with Jesus. I have put my children before my relationship with Jesus. I have put so many things, the decisions I make about work, so many things I have done, I have done them before I have thought about my relationship with Jesus. I have probably created many more idols than American Idol has. And I'm not proud of that, but that's the truth. It's because I I neglect stillness. I neglect rest. I neglect Sabbath. My soul might cry out for it, but my head thinks, I don't have time. I'm tired but I don't want that kind of rest. I read a 2014 Gallup poll that said 47%... Wait, no. (laughs) Was it 47%? No. The average American, working American, spends more than 47 hours a week at work. And 50% of those actually spends more than that, more than 50 hours a week at work. And I also read a study from this year that said that Americans are taking less and less vacation time. 
that they've earned. There are so many things in our culture that say that resting is not, rest is for the weak. Our culture celebrates busyness. It, it glorifies busyness. They are teaching my kids, you know, arithmetic, arithmetic and, and, and reading. And more, maybe more important is the idea that they have a schedule book. They're teaching my kids, which is not a bad thing, but like this is the culture, right? We have, if you're not filling out your schedule, if your schedule is not full, then you're not living up to par because people don't even take vacations anymore. And the, the same study said that more Americans are actually working more than one job now than they ever has been in the history of our, our country. So people are taking on extra jobs. People are not going on vacation. People are working more than 50 hours a week at their, at their regular job. There's so much going on just, just in the workplace to keep us busy and distracted. And our culture turns out more Marthas now than ever before. Work is good. Distraction is not. If we buy into this rest is for the weak mentality, maybe we've never said that out loud or maybe we don't personally buy into that, but we see it happening so often, so often around us, we have to ask ourselves, is this how we're made? Is this how we're wired? And I would like to say that it's not because rest is hardwired into our creation story, Right? Didn't God rest? Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I love this story a little bit, this verse, maybe for the first time when I read it this week, and I was like, okay, I knew that God rested, obviously day seven, the Sabbath day, this has been part of, you know, if you learn the Ten Commandments as a kid, this is one of them, keep it holy. But I read it this week, and I was like, oh, man, God wasn't tired. God, God wasn't tired on the seventh day. He wasn't worn out from all the work, but he likes rest. <laughs> I love it. He's like, we're going to call this... It's like he's like, hey, the weekend. Right? That's kind of what we do. Hey! It's the weekend. We're going to make this holy. Like, block it out. This is good. It's good. And he didn't need the rest, but he knew that his children, created in his image, would need the rest. And so he gave us this as an example, as a template for our lives. I think it's funny, and, and you know, you, you may not. My sense of humor is a little bit weird. But I was, I was reading through this, and then I was reading through, um, I, I read a book many, many years ago that's called Your God is Too Safe by Mark Buchanan. And it reminded me of this when I was reading this thing about the Sabbath and how I think maybe, maybe God really enjoys this. Maybe he really, that's why he made it holy. Like this is the day of the week that is holy. Because I rested, and rest is good. 
Not because he's tired and worn out, but because it's just good to do it. And I remember in this book, it reminded me that, um, that Mark Buchanan said this similarly. He said, Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers read like a string of invitations to nonstop whirlwind of festival. This is God, he says. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. Celebrate the feast of harvest. Celebrate the feast of weeks. Celebrate the Passover. Celebrate the feast of tabernacles. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. And he says, these were not just quiet little parties. But this was like a massive like dance in the street shindig. These were celebrations. Our God loves to celebrate. He loves to rest. I just want to paint the picture of the God of the Bible in your minds today because I think that we get this wrong so often. We, we see staunch God with his long beard and he's mad at everybody, but he's not. He likes to rest. Don't you like to rest? He likes to party. Is that weird to say? God implemented so many celebrations in the Old Testament. There are over 60 of them. He likes happiness. He likes joy. He is this God. He is that person. And I think it's great the more you read the Old Testament and you kind of get this idea for who God is. He loves celebration and he loves rest and he is the God of a good time. So we have this God who loves celebration and he sees the Sabbath as set apart for rest. So what's my point? The point is not to say anything different than you've already known. God is a missionary God, right? He sends, himself, he sends his son as a missionary to the world, right? Not buying that? He is a missionary God because he sends. That's what missionaries do. We send. We go. Jesus was sent. Jesus went. Jesus came. He is a missionary God. He is a God, Jesus said, I come to serve. He is a missionary God. He's a serving God. He is a God who loves people so much that he would send his only begotten son so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. Yeah, that's the God that we're talking about. He's not some stark commander barking orders about the kingdom. The point is that somehow we think that we can get through the busyness of life the stress of the holidays or the stress. There are so many things that bring us stress, like changing jobs, losing a job, losing a loved one, moving, getting married, getting divorced. All of these things bring so much stress into our lives. And if we think that we can muster our way through life without Sabbath, then we have sadly miscalculated how we're wired and how we're built because God made us for a relationship. He made us for a relationship with him and we grow in our relationship with him through sitting at his feet. Like Frodo Baggins, I think, in all of the adventures and all of the missteps, 
that would leave them battered and bruised and in need of a safe space for healing. He needed to be healed because his mission and his journey wasn't over yet. He had to be prepared for what's next. And, my friends, there is always a what's next. And so wherever you are, in all of our hurriedness, wherever you've been, whatever the future holds, whatever the future is that God has planned for you to create, we're only going to get there if we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's funny, I think I see some of my friends, I see this in other people probably more than I do in myself. This is a confession. Because I know I'm tired, I'm weary, and I need to sit at Jesus' feet more than ever in my life. But I see this like, you know, pinball effect that, that rather than sit at his feet, we're, we have one thing to do and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. And life starts to look like a pinball game. Black Friday will look like from Walmart to Best Buy to Target. <laughs> We'd rather run ourselves ragged than to learn how to Sabbath the way Mary did. Do you remember the story? It's in uh, Mark chapter 6 where Jesus, he, he's sending out his 12 disciples. So he's been training them up. He's training them up as missionaries as well because that is his personality. He is discipling his 12 to be missionaries. And so he sends them out two by two. And they go out with Jesus' instruction and they preach repentance and they cast out demons and they heal the sick. And then they come back to him and they they tell him all the things that have happened on their journey. And do you know what he says to them? He says, let's go find a desolate place and rest. Just like the seventh day of creation. You've done the work that you were supposed to do. Now rest. And if you look through the scriptures at all, if you look through the life of Jesus, you'll see him doing this all the time, right? You always find Jesus in a place by himself alone praying. In fact, Luke 5 sums it up very well in one sentence. Luke 5, 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus Sabbathed, why won't we? What makes us think we don't need to? If Jesus sat in quiet prayer at the foot of the Father to find peace amongst all the stuff that was going on around him, what makes us think that we don't have to? There's another story in Matthew. In Matthew 8, 23 through 25, uh, this is the short version. Mark tells a longer version, but the short version is that they were all in the boat. Remember, the disciples they were all in the boat, and, and this was to get away from some of the crowds that were happening because Jesus wanted 
to rest. And then it tells us that a furious squall, or I like to think of it as like Gilligan's Island, the theme song. (laughs) If not for the courage of a fearless crew. So they're on this boat, this little fishing boat. The waves are tossing and turning. And these guys that are on the boat that are fishermen by trade, who have seen other storms and who have been through this a million times, they start to think that this is the one that's going to kill them. These experienced fishermen feared for their lives. So much so that they were like, well, where's Jesus? And they find Jesus. What's he doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. He's resting. And what makes Jesus be able to rest in the turbulent storm is his unwavering faith in the Father. And his unwavering faith is because, A, he's Jesus, and they have this, he's one with the Father. But B, it's because he's rested up. He's re- not just rested physically, but rested spiritually. And he knows that he is called to more than this storm. And he is not afraid. So when these fishermen come down and wake him up, and they're like, don't you care that we're going to die? And he's like, really? You guys still don't have any faith? And he gets up and he says, peace, be still. And it says, the water's calm like glass. I think he says the same thing to us. I think we get ourselves into this frenzy just like the fishermen did where we're like, this is so much stress. This is so much going on. God, don't you care what I'm going through? It's too much. You said you wouldn't give me more than I can handle, but I can't handle this. And he gives us a scripture, and you guys know the scripture in Psalm 46.10 where it just says very simply, be still and know that I am God. The holidays are upon us. The season of intense busyness is here. But maybe that's not stressful to you just as much as your ordinary life. Maybe just the regular day in and day out has you worn and has you weary. I hope that as a family, as brothers and sisters, as God's children. I hope that we can remind each other in the middle of all of this, when we see someone in struggle, when we see somebody stressed out, or even if we don't, if we get the notion that something is not okay, I hope that we can reach out to each other and just say, I see. I see what you're going through. Your struggle is my struggle. Your burdens are my burdens. Because that is what church is. That is what family does. So I hope we can remind each other of the simple, you know, this simple word over the next couple of months. It's okay to cook. It's okay to serve. It's the right thing to do, to give of yourself this season. And if Martha wasn't busy in the kitchen, Jesus would have been hungry that night, I guarantee it. 
But as important as all of those things are, there's something more important, the only thing necessary. Mary chose to do it. Sit at his feet. It's the primary thing. First things first, get rest, be healed, sit at his feet, be strengthened for your journey because there's a future that we are called to be in, to be a part of, to create. And if we lean into that, with God's spirit as our God, with our, as our guide, that is what rest provides. So if we are going to bring the kingdom of God to light this holiday season, this is funny. This is funny. It's not funny. We can be some of the most stressed out people on Christmas. God's people. I'm just throwing it out there. If we can be the people that show his kingdom, we show up as light bearers, as image bearers for the God who is. If we can show who he is through our actions, through the peace that we bring, through the healing that we bring, that is showing up with the kingdom of God. That's bringing the kingdom of God to light. That's the future that we are called to make. But we can't do that on our own strength. I've tried it. I'm sure some of you have tried it. I tried to pull this off for a long time, and I failed miserably, and I suffered miserably. If we are going to be light bearers, if we are going to show people who, how good God is and who he is, then we have to sit, firstly, at his feet, and we have to invest the time in our relationship with him. So we better be rested for the work at hand. Jesus said, and I'll close with this, Matthew 11. One of my favorite places in all the Bible. Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Simple. Simple to say. So when you think about, I'm going to give you guys this as a practical challenge, okay? So when you think about the end of your day, maybe today you can start. And say, when I get to the end of my day today, I'm going to think back of everything I've done. And I'm going to think about the things where I felt most alive, where I felt most in the moment, where I felt joy. And recognize that those are the things of Sabbath. And then think about the things in your day that drained you, that took away your energy, that that made you feel like giving up. And recognize that there's a difference here. I need this rest. I need to be doing the things that make me feel alive. 
I need to be do I need to be doing the things that that give me peace, that give me rest. And maybe if we make this a little bit more spiritual, we would ask ourselves at the end of the day, what are the things that made me feel closer to God? And what are the things that made me feel further away? And start by recognizing those things. And start by investing in the first. Mark Buchanan also says, we will never risk for God if we don't first rest in God. So I implore you, as I do myself, to keep your eyes on the rest giver. Don't become distracted like Martha, but glean from Mary. Rest at his feet. Be encouraged there. Be strengthened. Be healed. And be ready because there's always something next. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word and the simple word as it is. Help us to maybe deconstruct all the preconceived notions we have about what it is to Sabbath. That it's not necessarily a day, but it's how we see our life with you, our relationship with you. And if we are just busy, 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 and if we are just letting our minds swarm with the things that overcome us and give us anxiety, then we need more time with you. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to desire that, to desire the time at your feet, And I pray that you would then provide that time because we need it. We need peace in our souls. We need rest for the journey because we know there is so much more. And I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts to see that and to desire that and to desire you more. We ask for this all in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.